It's almost Christmas. And I can't help but have a feeling that things are not as they seem. And there's so many things that are going on in my head around perfection. Because all I'm seeing is struggle. And a little bit is maybe perhaps because we're so tied into social media and we're so tied into... We're so tired into connecting with people without connecting. Just the other day, I had coffee with a guy who I thought was having an amazing life. I mean, he's got a beautiful wife. He's got three beautiful kids, two boys and a girl. The perfect model family. Yet that family is going through a divorce. In fact, they are now divorced. But if you speak to them and you look at social media and the connections that they're making, you wouldn't have thought. Which leads me to think is how much more is that happening in the, with the people around us, the very people we are loving, we do love, and are meant to love? And how much attention are we paying to that? And... This caused me to kind of do a bit of navel-gazing and, and, and retrospection for my own life and saying, well, what are the things that I'm dealing with and actually not dealing with? Because there are struggles. And um, I've got three struggles, which are tough. And mostly because they really connect or they really impact the one area which means the most to me. And that's my faith. Just the other day, um, Esty was reading uh, all Corrie ten Boom's books. And um, when, I met, when Esty and I got married, to see Esty near a book was, it just didn't exist. And uh, um, unfortunately, she ended up in hospital and uh, had an operation, and she was bedridden for six weeks afterwards. And uh, I happened to drop a book or two, and then suddenly I couldn't feed them fast enough. And since that time, um, Esty's a prolific reader. Uh, a real technophobe, I bought her a Kindle. She threw it at me and told me, what, do, uh, what must I do with this? Until I bought a book or two on the Kindle, and now the Kindle is getting worn at the edges. So anyway, Corrie Ten Boom's books. I don't think there's a book yet that she hasn't read. But in the book, one of the books, uh, Esty shared with me a statement that Corrie made, and that was about faith. Uh, something to do with, it wasn't my faith that rescued me, it was my belief in Jesus. And I want to say that it's my belief in Jesus that allows me to look in the face of these struggles and work with it. The first struggle that I have is struggling to know God as Father. I mean, let's be honest, people. We all have a navel, so therefore we all have a dad, and we have a mom. But relating that Father to the Father that sired us, can any of you connect that? Can anyone here honestly connect those two together? Um, and if you can, I want to say that you are incredibly blessed. Because for me, when I look at God through the lens of my earthly father, that lens is very dim 
someone took a, a match and blackened it out because I struggle with it. I grew up with a dad who was very physical. Um, and a word of affirmation and a word of love was very rare and, and far between. And sadly, we struggle with what to believe about ourselves because of our dads. Because our fathers, invariably somewhere along the line, have given up and walked away from us. And it's hard to see the heart of God as father in that. As I said, my dad was harsh. He was absent and he was uninvolved. And that left me with a void in fathering. And it left me with a void of understanding fatherhood. And I just want to say here, all grace, all glory to God who's put me into a ministry which deals with fathering. Because only he can put that together. And only he can rescue that situation. And God represents a father as a father is and should be. Because he is that father. I just, you just need to look at Matthew 6 verse 9. It starts off with our father. Our father. And I've learned this about my father. My father in heaven. And because I've been able to learn about him, it's really in my struggles. The one thing, when things go wrong, we tend to isolate ourselves. And I speak for men here in general, I think. When things go wrong, the first thing a man does is he isolates himself and he clams up. And he doesn't speak and he doesn't connect. But what I'm learning is that if I can go to someone, to something and speak this through, it changes the game. And what I'm learning is that in my lack of fathering, God has put people in who will father me in those moments. And those good fathers, what they've done, they've always said to me, Daryl, what does scripture say? What happens from there? And I've learned this. God will never leave me. God as my father will never leave me. It says in Hebrews 13 verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what I've been through with my father, my dad, my earthly father, if I come to God with a childlike faith, if I believe in Jesus and have that, that childlike faith, God will deal with us. He's right there with me. John 14 verse 16 to 18. Even when my dad is gone, he's been long gone, he died when I was 15, God, my father, is with me and he's with me now. He will protect me and never hurt me. You know, this is the thing that I always hear people say. They, they're always talking about, you know, it was God's will. Or maybe God let this happen. Or maybe God this, did this or maybe God did that. Unfortunately, we've got it wrong. Because last I looked, there's a verse that says, the thief comes to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. So if it feels like I'm being robbed, if it feels like the world's out to kill me, is that God's plan? No, it isn't. He will never hurt me. He will there to protect me. Even when he disciplines us, it is in love and for our greatest good. Proverbs 3 verse 12. No matter what danger we face, God is there. He is the father of comfort and protection, not of terror and abuse. And again, I'll hold on to those words. 
The thief comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. He knows what I need. He knows what I need. And unfortunately, in today's world, we're so busy about what we want, we forget what we need. We're all too into the, into the wants. The needs are, are, are just something which fall away. I, I think of politics. I think of, of this whole uh, left versus right. It's all about feelings over facts. We've allowed our feelings to get in the way of truth. When actual fact, what we should be saying is, Dad, what do you think? Lord, where to now? What now, Father? But I remember when my children were about three or four years old and they didn't get something they wanted. And they would throw themselves down in a tantrum, kicking and screaming. And I have to share a story. It's not my story. It's actually Esty's story because she was young and she had a younger sister who was um, very petulant at one time. And she would throw tantrums often to get away. And walking down the aisle in Knowles with the whole family, there was five kids. This little girl decided that she wanted something and she, of course, wasn't going to get it. So what she would have normally done is thrown herself back, dropped to the floor and, and thrown a tantrum to get away. But Esty's mom saw it at the last second, and what she did is she threw herself down and threw a tantrum. And this child took one look and walked around the corner. Never threw a tantrum again. Sometimes God just gets it. And I, 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 reading a book, uh, um, Wild at Heart, uh, it speaks often about how we don't want to deal with our pain because we're too busy into the feelings. We're not looking at the truth. And um, the one time that he speaks where God does sometimes add pain, because, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, is he, he speaks about how God will wound us in our woundedness. Is that we have a wound that needs healing, but we want to cover it up. We allow the scab to form, and it all just gets gooey and pussy underneath, and nothing ever gets done about it. And, and I, I can relate because I remember at age at 18, um, well, I, was two, I wasn't 18, I was 17. Next year I was going to the army. I'd just come out of school, finished. I was riding on my motorbike. I'd fallen off because I was behaving like an idiot on the thing. And I, I, I took the part of my kneecap off um, in this. And, of course, I wouldn't tell anybody because it was sore and there was blood all over the place. So I kind of took the hose pipe, sprayed it off and put something around. But it got infected and I eventually couldn't move my leg bend my knee so my mom took me to the doctor and he i lay down on the bench he took one look at this said oh you know when the doctor says oh <laughs> so he says um this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me um <laughs> and he took a scrubbing brush sprayed the disinfectant on and he just climbed in there and it was you know all over the place but um it was amazing what came out the colors were phenomenal <laughs> But there was immediate relief. And of course drugs help, but there was immediate relief. And so the healing began. And it was two months later that I went into the army with a more or less healed leg that I could actually go into my national service. But going back to the point is that God wounds us and our wounded. Sometimes he needs to push his finger through the, the crust of the scab and get to the wound to get you to deal with it so we can get on with it. So that's not hurting us. It's not injuring us. There's pain, but 
we're not injured. He knows what we need. I think I've... He delights in us. God absolutely delights in us. You know, I've, uh, doing so many pass-through fire events, the one thing I get to be part of is after these boys have done a rite of passage event and they've been through all the terror of walking in the dark and all these horrible things, as if some will believe them to be, is to, as the boys are introduced into the company of men, I see the glow on a father's face as he delights in his son who is becoming a man. And that vision will never leave me because I'd like to believe God feels the same of me. Is that there's moments when he absolutely delights in me. Isaiah 43 verse 4. You are precious in my eyes. I've seen that. I've seen fathers see the gift that they have in their sons. He loves me. Sometimes in spite of myself and not because of me. And um, I know with my children, I will always love them. But sometimes I don't like them. But the beautiful thing is God, as well, will always love me. And that's sometimes in spite of what I've done. And it's in spite of, there's nothing that I can do to make him love me any more or any less. The second struggle that I have... is knowing Jesus as Lord and King. I mean, come on. You, anybody feeling this with me? Because if you look at the lords and kings that we have, if we look at the governments that are in place, if we look at who's watched The Crown on Netflix, yes? When you start talking about kings and lords and things like that, it just it doesn't get it for me because... When I think Lord and I think King, I think someone who rules. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to young guys about having a spirit of kingship, about reigning, about leading. But we've actually got it wrong because Jesus came not to be served as a king, but to serve as a king. That triangle of leadership he took and he turned it upside down completely. And for me, that's a struggle because every position that I've held in work, in ministry and everything, it's about leadership and taking, it's, yes, it's about ownership and all these other things, but also what it's about is leading and, and giving the commands and, and telling people what to do and getting things instructed. And Jesus comes along and he does it just totally the other way around. What he says is not go and do. He says, come with me, follow me, do with me. partner with him. We co-create with him. And uh, I just want to say this is that just with the whole king thing, there's something wrong with the marketing department in heaven. Just saying. All right, we'll get on to that. And uh, understanding that I need to be a king, priest, and prophet in my home doesn't help it either because I did not have a king, priest, or prophet in my home. And having to learn that myself has, has really challenged me. It's a difficult one.
seeing King and Lord, Jesus as King and Lord is a struggle because he does not present as being kingly. I've never seen a crown represented on his head besides the crown of thorns, which to some will seem a mockery. There was never any ceremony. He is approachable. What's with that? He was born as a pauper, not as a prince. And not even the Jews saw him as king. We are people who want everything done for us. We actually want to be lorded over. We want to be lorded into comfort. I think if you read the book of Kings, we talk about how the people always wanted a king. Because they wanted someone to tell them what to do, how to do it. And yet we have Jesus who didn't, wouldn't do that at all. I think of countries like the United Kingdom and Australia. We are getting it right because they want to be lauded over and everything's done for them. It's nanny states. But we want that. But Jesus will not give that. And again, he asks us to follow him. John 18 verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. It was just before his crucifixion. But now my kingdom is from another place. I struggle. Truly following Jesus is not supposed to be comfortable. Truly following Jesus teaches us just how broken the world is. And isn't it amazing how we say, come Lord Jesus, we said it this morning. But he is here already. The world is broken, so what are we doing about it? Because he is with us. What is he prompting us to do about the brokenness? I hear people that are disgruntled with the church and they say, oh, but the church, but you are the church. But the gray walls will then help paint them. But the carpet's dirty will then have you clean them. We're so busy trying to win at church, we forget about doing what we've been called to do. To save the lost, to preach the gospel, to bring others. Truly following Jesus means being held to a higher standard. Okay, not out of judgment. Truly following Jesus will reveal your weaknesses and shortcomings. But in our weakness, truly following Jesus means sharing your story. How many of you are sitting on your story and not revealing it? Because it's your truth. And nobody can refute it. And your truth could be the very thing that brings another soul into the kingdom of heaven. Truly following Jesus requires faith. My third and last struggle, and my home group knows this, is I struggle with the love of God. Everybody is talking about, God loves you. Yeah, yeah. God loves you. We see so much of it. We're quick to share it. 
we're quick to throw it out there like it's a cliche. Well, you know what? If God loves other people, why are we not loving those people? Because I've learned more about the love of God in the last few months than I have in my entire Christian walk because people have loved me and do love me. So who are you not loving? Who am I not loving? Because we are the conduits, the ones that connect other people with Christ to experience the love of God. So I went a little bit to scripture about this. John 3.16 Thank you, Mr. Carr, for stealing my thunder. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I don't think there's a person on this planet that I love enough to give my do- one of my daughters for. I don't think there's a nation big enough. Yet, I have a Father in heaven who loves me enough that he'll give of his flesh. 1 John 4 verse 8 Whoever does not know, not know God, whoever does not love, does not know God, because God is love. If you don't know love, are you truly saved? That's the question that's been running around my head. If I do not know the love of God, I truly know what Jesus did for me. Romans 5 verse 5. And this is the thing that pulls it together. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We all have the ability to show the love of God to others and we all have the ability to feel the love of God because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. John 13 verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And uh, I hear stories, we were just talking in the car on the way here about uh, this Bursukafrot program. Uh, does anybody not know it? Bursukafrot, it's, it's an Afrikaans TV program and what happens is these farmers go and look, what they do is they put their names forward and they do a bit of a promo on the program for it. Um, for me, it's just a, a, a hidden version of prostitution, but anyway. Um, so it's kind of like The Bachelor, but it's for farmers. But it's not as bad as The Bachelor. <laughs> and basically what happens is these guys get to meet 10 or so girls who are really interested in them because they write letters to each other and they meet them. Uh, nothing underhanded happens, and then they, it whittles down, they select one, etc., etc. This year, huge upheaval because a gay farmer applied and he got the most letters and etc., etc. But he put a comment on the news the other day to say that he is giving up on all Christians because all they've done is treated him unfairly and judged him. Um, sorry? And he's also a Christian. Now, two things. 
I understand why he would be condemned and judged because he's openly admitting to sin. Um, fortunately for all of us, there's no degree of sin. So we're no better off than he is. But what worries me is that he has been openly judged by Christians. They have not shown him the love of God. The one thing that Sarepta taught me in the very first week that I started being part of this family was Jonathan saying to me, relationship before issue. We cannot judge people without a relationship first. I mean, we invite people to our weddings. Why? So that they can witness the vows that we've made, made so that when we step out of line, we can be called out onto them through the relationship. We invite people to witness our baptisms. Why? So that when we step out of anything beyond our faith, those we have a relationship can call us out on it. What gives us the right to call out this man when we do not know him? We do not know his story. We do not know where he's where he's been or what it's about. What we can do is love him so that the conviction can take place through the Holy Spirit who is in us and with us and works through us. As I said, God is loving me in bucket loads through the words, acts, and deeds of others. And I wish it for everyone. Unfortunately, the Bible's full of imperfect people, just like me. And when God put a calling on my life, he factored in my stupidity. And I want to get on to the in-ending. It's Christmas. And we have this beautiful story that plays out ahead of us. But it's becoming like a Facebook story. Because if you think of it, there's the beautiful Virgin Mary with her soon-to-be, they went, yeah, with Joseph the dad, the dad, and Jesus was born in a manger with the cows lowing and the three wise men, and it was all beautiful. And Jesus didn't even cry. And uh, they went off to Egypt they had a great life and they rose him up. And what a biggest load of hogwash. Because if you read Revelations 12, verse 1 to 12, it's a different story. It's the real story of Christmas. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain. She was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head, heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to, to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. 
He was whirled, hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying, from heaven say, now, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone to you. He's filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. That's the Christmas story. We've got to remember that it's not what it seems. We've got to remember that just in... The coming of Christ, there was blood. Mary gave birth. It wasn't in a stable, it was in a cave. There was crying. As much as we want to believe Jesus didn't cry, there was crying. And then on top of that, this is a family that had to quickly gather up their things and flee to Egypt because someone was killing all the children. So when we struggle and we fight with stuff, we've got to remember that it's always existed. Jesus says, there will be trouble in this world, but take heart five, overcome it. He's in it with us. Yes, we need to say, Lord, come, because there will be an end to this. But we also need to say, thank you, Lord, you're with us in this fight. This fight is not for nothing. We need to stop a moment and think about what we're doing over this period of time. We're celebrating a victory. We're celebrating a battle that was fought and won. The war's not over. Okay? But Jesus is Lord of the journey as well as the destination. He's in it with us and he is there when we get there. It's a beautiful story. And there's a villain, and there's a, a victor, and there's a hero. We're part of that story. And just as you go through your struggles, understand that there is a hero involved. And he came so many years ago, but he's, he's fighting the battle for us. He's with us. So that when we come to him with our struggles of unbelief, of whatever your struggle may be, Jesus is with us. And this is the time when the rescue plan was initiated, when God said, okay, go. Let's do this. And we need to celebrate the start of this rescue story because we are the ones who are saved and rescued in it. So we give thanks. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us in this moment. Thank you, Father God, that you put this plan together. Thank you, Lord, for this time that lies ahead, for Christmas, for carols tonight, for time of family. Lord, I think of, of David and his mighty men as they would escape to the cave of Adullam to, just to get rest, Lord, to patch each other up, to share the stories, to 
to bring joy to the situation of the battle they were fighting. Let this time, this Christmas time be that, Lord. Let us go back to our homes, to our cave, caves of Adullam, where we can love one another, where we can share in the joy of, of who you are. Um, may we eat plenty. May we drink much. And may we share in that joy, because it is a joy that comes from the Lord only. So we praise you and worship you, because you are Jesus and you are Lord and you are Savior. God, you are Father, and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.